Local voices, local conversations. NapaBroadcasting.com. Thanks for being with us here at NapaBroadcasting.com. Today we take for granted the vibrancy of downtown Napa. But almost two decades ago, it was a very different story. At the time, the only culture might have been the yogurt section at Safeway. And the city's restaurants had a decidedly down-market feel. At the time, a brave chef decided he wanted to open a restaurant and stake his future on what he envisioned for downtown. In retrospect, he was either incredibly foolish or incredibly prescient about what was to come. Greg Cole opened Celadon, and the rest is history. In many ways, he both sparked part of the downtown renaissance and rode its wave to great success. Today, he's both looking back on that ride and preparing for new adventures. And as he does, it is my pleasure to welcome Greg Cole here to NapaBroadcasting.com. Greg, thanks so much for joining us. Jeff, it's nice to be here. There must be a sense of uh, bittersweet in some ways with selling uh, Celadon, of looking back at the, at the ride that it's been over the past, what, 17, yeah. 18, 19 years? It's been 19 and a half years. It's been amazing. And, you know, when we opened um, in September of 96, you know, when you open any kind of business, you just never know what's going to happen. And I really, I remember signing the first lease for our first location. It was 978 square feet. Our rent was less than $1,000 a month. And I remember thinking, we had a what, three-year with one three-year option. And I remember thinking, you know, what am I going to do? I, I'm praying that I make it the three years, you know, and and, and not really sure, but um, those first six years flew by. I mean, we had great success. We were very fortunate. Timing is everything, um, you know, I think in the restaurant business. And we were we were lucky. We worked hard. We had we had a good product. Um, and I think it was just the right, it was the right restaurant at the right time for Napa. If we would have opened three years earlier, it might not have made it. If and for our newer listeners, so the newer people here, talk right. about where the, I mean, we all sure. know, but talk about yeah. where the first restaurant was, because I think a lot of people don't know. Absolutely. It was a funny little spot. When I was, I was working as um, in the cellar doing sales and marketing, and I was the chef for Robert Sinsky Vineyards, and I had been there for six years. Um, and I had been in Napa for 10, 12 years before that, mostly in restaurants, in different restaurants around the valley and over in Sonoma. And um, I got to the point where sort of that entrepreneurial spirit was it was it was time. I was 34 years old. Um, I always thought I wanted to have my own business, and I knew that the longer I waited, the harder it was going to be. You know, I just thought I, if I if I don't do it now, it's going to be more difficult as I get older. And and you know whether I was going to succeed or not, I, I just had to give it a chance. So the location was um, this little tiny. Like I said, less than 1,000 square foot space. In the back, it was an annex to a building on Main Street, the, the Main Street Exchange Building, 1040 Main Street. It was served by a, a little footbridge that crossed the Napa Creek. You can get to it through the building or, or over the creek. And the creek entrance was, was kind of quaint and charming and romantic, and, and especially at high tide. At low tide, it wasn't, it's not quite so pretty <laughs> like the Napa River is. But right. um, when, I, when I really thought it was time to do a restaurant, you know – my cuisine, our food, what we wanted to do, it made more sense being in Yountville or St. Helena, but rents were much higher. And and downtown Napa was really struggling. It was a, there was a, I mean, there's vacant space now. Then it was very vacant and things were cheap. I mean, like I said, a dollar a square foot. I mean, now at downtown Napa is 285, three, 325 right. plus a square foot. So, um, 
you know, I knew that I could hopefully be able to afford a thousand dollars a month rent and and run this little restaurant. Um, and so it it had been a couple of different little places. Years ago, it was a little antique shop, and then it was called the Soda Hole, and it was kind of a it was kind of a cool place, kind of a countercultural um, spot. It was. Um, uh, some local ladies, three 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 local girls who who wanted a, a cool place to go and hang out, and they created it. They created this cool little place where people. It was the beginning of the goth kind of, or at least for the nap for Napa, it was the beginning of the goth era, and uh, lots of kids with uh, dyed black hair with black painted fingernails, smoking clove cigarettes because then you could still smoke, uh, right. sipping on a cappuccino for seven hours, uh, talking about. Tolstoy and and just depression and you know whatever it was they talked about for seven hours over one cup of coffee. But unfortunately, those kids that that group they were they were serving their demographic that their target audience did, didn't have any money, and they would sit there for hours with their one cappuccino and and not spend any money. So sadly, the soda hole didn't make it, and so. The space had been vacant for probably about a year. I was looking at different spots, and and my first first location that I had wanted was where Pearl ended up going. It had been Kelly's No Bad Days right. Cafe. She walked away from that. And there was a few of us who had were looking at that and had made an offer on that. And Mark Grassi owned the building at the time. And he, he went with Nikki and Pete Zeller. They had Brown Street around the corner. They had a track record. Um, I was unknown. You know, I had people in the restaurant business in the wine industry knew me, but, but um, no one else really. So, um, the little soda hole location was sort of our default, our second, our second choice. Um, didn't have any cooking. It didn't have gas. Didn't have a hood. They used to, the, the ladies from the soda hole used to make soup at home. You know, highly illegal. Well, not highly illegal, but not not up to today. Codes. It would be highly. Well, illegal. I mean, yeah, then it, it was, was a little no, more no, flexible. No, it was illegal then too. But it was. <laughs> it was I mean, not like they were going to go to jail. Probably it wasn't like murder. It was just like you just don't prepare soup at home. Bring it to your restaurant, heat it up in the microwave, and then serve it to guests right. in the restaurant. That's not. That's not how it's supposed to work. And I think that probably happens some today too, but it, but that's how they did it. So it was sandwiches and salads and soup, and they would make the prepared soups at home and then heat them up in the microwave. So there was no stove. So it, there was a kitchen, but there was no stove. There was no gas. There was there was electricity, but that was about it. So we we did a bunch of work. Spent you know what at that time for us, which we had no money, was a lot of money. Got a little small business loan from Napa. Uh, Napa National Bank. Right. And, and you had some uh, investors at the time. Well, my mom and my dad right. and my wife and myself. I mean, we opened that restaurant. We opened the original Celadon for about $90,000. Um, it, it was all of our savings. My mom and dad chipped in. We got a, we got an SBA loan through Napa National for, I think, about $40,000, which was about, you know, these when you do, anyone who's ever been through this process of, of working with a bank for a loan and an SBA loan, you know, you end up with a file of paperwork that's about three inches or four inches thick. And, you know, all the forms, all the things you've got to fill out. And, you know, here I am, I'm thinking this, you know, this is a four-inch file of paperwork we've filled out for $40,000. It just, it seems a little ridiculous, but we needed the money and, and how else were we going to get it? So we got the original Celadon open for about $90,000, $95,000 and, uh, and opened our doors and uh, Napa was ready for it. It was... Um, we you know it wasn't people i mean we didn't have a line on day 1 and there were some quiet nights for sure um 
And I, I have such clear memories of we used to have when they were legal. This is you know when they were still legal. Little A-frame signs, the sandwich boards. We had a little sandwich board out on Main Street right. that, that pointed through the Main Street Exchange building that would lead people to find us. Because even if you had our address, I mean, there were people who were born and raised in Napa who didn't know where it was because they knew the Main Street Exchange building, but they had no idea there was anything behind that. And at that time. Where well the opera house wasn't open it was a shell so there was a big dirt lot behind right. that and then there was Brewsters and they had a big dirt lot behind Brewsters so you know we were really sort of hidden in the from complete view and so I would walk out every night at nine o'clock when we stopped seating to get my little sandwich board and I remember so clearly you know you'd look north you'd look south on Main Street. There wouldn't be a car. There wouldn't be a person. There wouldn't be a car. There might be a stray dog walking down the street and maybe a police cruiser going up the main street or something like that. But there would be no one. And then on the parking lot side of the West Street parking lot, um, you know, we benefited from the Cynodome Theater there. People would come over, have a glass of wine before the show, that kind of thing. That helped us. That helped people discover us. But I remember from cooking, because I cooked all the time. From my little stove station, I could look out across out the dining room and over out the windows to the parking lot across. And I remember I, I would just count cars. Oh, here comes a car! And you'd cross their fingers that they're going to actually come into the restaurant. Uh, and that you know now nine o'clock at night on Main Street in downtown Napa, it doesn't matter if it's Saturday night or Thursday or Monday, if it's February or if it's August, there are people everywhere. It's just crazy. The thing about it, too, is that it was a very, although small, as you say, it was a very charming space. Yeah. It had a great feel to it. It had a great it. feel to it. It really did. It was a neat building. Um, it, it started. It had good bones, for sure. And and we um, we did some simple things. The, the soda hole people had put in a nice wood floor and done some nice things. We did some minimal things, but but fixed it up. And uh, it just had a good energy. It always it re- had, had a great energy. It always and the had patio a, was yeah, had a great patio. It had a good, really, it always had a good vibe to it. It really did. And and it was I think Napa was so hungry to have its place. You know, people then in eighty six, eighty seven, before that, we would always um I'm sorry, ninety six, ninety seven, we would always drive drive up to um St. Helena, um uh Yallenville. I mean, you didn't go out to dinner in Napa. Right. You you really I mean if you wanted to go out to have a nice dinner you got in your car and you went to Terra and St Helena right. or you went to Trevina or you went to Mustards or the restaurant at Domaine Chandon or Berge de Soleil you never Stars about was there later for Stars what? Oakville Cafe <laughs> right. right yeah Jeremiah Towers place on right. on the highway um, you never ever thought about going out to eat in in downtown Napa for, I mean. Bad Chinese and Mexican. That's what you right. had, really, for the most part. There was a restaurant called Chantrell on Susquehanna. You know, it was very continental. It was very old school. But he very did, old school. But he did a good job. I mean, Carl did a good job there. He really did. I, I my hat was off to him. Hats off to him. He uh, he knew his clientele. He knew what he was trying to do, and, and he and he did a a very competent job. And then Nicky and Pete at Brown Street, and then Pearl did a good job. But really, there wasn't much else, and. Um, so there was La Bocan, which was the kind of the old style French restaurant where you'd go and get a souffle. I forgot and, about that, right? And that was really one. I mean, that was you know I like talking to the Beasleys and and when they first opened, that was like the only restaurant they could recommend ever to anyone because that was the only place that had real food. Um, and so there wasn't a whole lot in Napa. I mean, compared to today, but I remember um, 
talking with people, and and someone was was in such shock. You know, I was, I was talking to a table that they actually had driven from Saint Helena to have dinner in Napa, and they couldn't believe it. They like they they were wow. sort of in, I can't. Believe, I mean, they were, they were enjoying themselves. They were having a great time, loved the food, but they were just sort of in shock that they had actually driven and we, we call it the reverse commute people actually coming from St. Helena to dine in Napa it was unheard of and so that part of, of what Celadon did really was important I think for Napa um, and it also I think people saw me and Beth and our success at Celadon and then at Kohl's and they sort of thought well if they could do it I mean there's obviously a market I mean you go to Celadon and you there, we didn't take reservations at the time You'd wait 30 minutes for a table. You know, if we were able to do that in that funky little space that you couldn't find, you know, that there was hope for Napa. And so then we started seeing other restaurants come in. You know, some made it, some didn't. Um, the failure rate in Napa, in the restaurant business is extremely high. And so, um, you know, but people, there was hope, at least in Napa. And then Coles came along, right. and how many years later was that? Three years later. Only three years, three later. years later. That was a bigger investment. Huge, that was a big yeah. deal. Huge. I mean, huge, not that yeah. the first one wasn't, no, but no, that was but a was, really big deal. It was pretty scary. Um, our original landlord, one of our landlords at the Main Street Exchange was Richard Williams, Dick Williams, and he, um, with partners, bought that building from the city of Napa. The city had bought the it's called the Kaiser Louis building where Kohl's is and all the way to the corner where the hair, hair salon is. Um, the city had bought that building in the seventies as part of a redevelopment project. They were going to tear it down and build a modern building. And, uh, luckily a group of, uh, a downtown merchants filed a lawsuit. Larry Friedman from Brewster's was part of this group. They had seen much of the the great old buildings of Napa torn down, and so they they filed a lawsuit, an injunction to stop the demolition of the building, and the case got thrown out. But by that point, the city had generated so much negative publicity that they decided to not tear that building down. Um, and for years, it was, uh, you know, there was a copy corner was there. It's on Jefferson now. NT was there. There was um, right. Valley Vacuum. What's on Jefferson was in there. It was this weird, weird collection of little buildings and uh, businesses that that lined that um, that block. And so they, so Dick bought that building with his partners, and he needed it. He needed some. He needed a signed lease. He was looking for funding. He needed a sign lease. So he came up to me. He's like, Greg, we got to do a restaurant over here. So I, I walked over there with him to look at sort of the shell of the building. And it's funny. My background, my first real cooking job was at the Hungry Hunter restaurant, Steakhouse in Thousand Oaks, California. And um, when I moved to Napa in 85 to work at Domaine Chandon, you know, I was always sort of perplexed why there wasn't a great steakhouse in the Napa Valley. There's so many wineries producing Cabernet and people here, big red wines, that steakhouses go with that. It's just right. sort of a natural. Yet you had Mediterranean slash Asian inspired cuisine, you know, in almost every single upscale restaurant in the Valley, you know. Um, I mean, great food, but I mean, every every menu in the Napa Valley had frise and endive and chanterelle mushrooms and whatever. I mean, it was just, that was the Napa Valley cuisine. There wasn't just a, a bare-bones steakhouse, with the exception of the Royal Oak at Silverado Country Club, that people didn't go to unless they were lived at the club 
for the most part. Right. People, Nobody. you know, people from Napa just didn't go there because it was at the club and they weren't members and they didn't know if it was private or not. And Silverado would have loved to have you go there and spend money on their stakes, but people just didn't do it. And then Jonesy's at the airport, which, which was a real institution, but it wasn't a great steakhouse. It was it was very old school. Also. It was old school, quirky. I mean, not great quality beef, I don't think. Um they had their niche for sure. I mean, and, and succeeded for many, many years. But it wasn't like a Ruth Chris or a Del right. Frisco's or a Morton's or that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, for a long time cooking in the Valley, I was just sort of – it just surprised me. Like, why why won't Ruth Chris open a restaurant in the Napa Valley? Right. And so I finally when, – when Dick um, got this building, I said, you know, we should do a steakhouse. And when I walked over and looked at the space, I just sort of envisioned, you know, with the stone walls and the open beam ceiling. I mean, it just screamed steakhouse to me. So that one was um, a bigger investment for sure and a bigger restaurant. You know, a lot more risk but a lot more possible reward too. Uh, it was a little scary. Um, we had we had good success at for three years at Celadon. Um People thought that it was it was going to not make it. That you know, Greg, you're a nice guy. We love Celadon. Why don't you just stay with Celadon? I mean, Celadon's great. You know, you're doing okay. But for whatever reason, I just I just I knew Napa needed and deserved a restaurant like Celadon, like Coles. I mean, it really. Um, you know, where did you go for an anniversary? Where did you go to propose? Where did you go for graduation? I mean, I don't know if Napa had that restaurant, really. There wasn't, you know, most communities have that. They have that place where dad wants to go for his birthday. And and I, at that point for me, um, I didn't really think Napa had a restaurant like that. And, and so we wanted to build that. And so the Chop House... Um, so it's in its 16th year now, and, I mean, it's been wildly successful. Was it successful from day one? No, no, no. It was a struggle. Uh, much higher overhead, higher rent, bigger space. Um, the first year, um, quite often, it had to borrow money from Celadon. So here it was funny. You had this little tiny 40-seat restaurant paying the bills of the 100-seat Big Brother across the creek, um, we we struggled. And, you know, we didn't have deep pockets. Luckily, we had we had the cash flow from Celadon, which was doing real well, to kind of help the chop house along. After the first year or so, the chop house started to break even. But that first year, I mean, almost every two weeks when it was payday, we had to dip into the Celadon bank account to borrow money for for Coles. Luckily, at the time, same exact ownership. Um, I own a third. My wife Beth Fairbairn owns a third. My mom and dad owned a third, and so it, it didn't matter. You know, I mean, borrowing right. money back and forth was perfectly fine. Um, but it was it was funny to think about that that this little tiny space over here. Uh, less than a thousand square feet is paying the bills for the four thousand square foot, you know, fancy restaurant across the street. But that was the reality. It it really was that way. And then at a certain point, a few years later, you decided it was time for Celadon to move. Into well, a much yeah, space. we did. We we didn't want to move. So, you know, when we when we signed our our initial lease at Celadon, we did a th- one a three year lease with one three year option, and. Um, so as our lease was – and we loved that space. It was a magical little space. It was too small, but it was great. It was a great space. Yeah. Um, when our, as our lease was getting close to running out, um, 
the Napa Valley Opera House was just getting ready to open. It was just, I mean, when we opened five and a half years earlier, I didn't really even think it would ever open, but it, it, it was just about ready to celebrate its grand opening. There was huge hopes pinned on that little neighborhood there and what the opera house was going to do. And, and, you know, the building owners of the Main Street Exchange had stars in their eyes and, and really thought that my rent should triple. <laughs> and I, I told them, I said, I said, you guys, I can't afford to pay this. There's no restaurant that's going to be in this space that's as small as it is that's going to be able to afford this rent. And they thought, oh, no, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a whole new world when the opera house opens. And and basically, the, the whatever a profit we had shown the year before, that would have all gone to rent. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, um, Harry Price down at the Napa River Inn was looking for a new tenant. He had opened the Napa River Inn Hotel in the Napa Mill Complex, and Geezer's was the restaurant in residence at the time, and it wasn't a good fit. You know, Geezer's, um, when they were on Main Street where Zuzu is now, was a good little beer bar, and they had their niche. But when they moved to the Napa River Inn, it, it was a disaster. You know, it was a it was a horrible marriage from the very beginning. Um Here's the Napa River Inn trying to be a boutique, you know, hotel, hotel with geezers with in this beer bar, you know, with people after they drink, you know, the the big thing was after you had the 99th beer, a different, a different beer that they served, um, you got your own beer mug and they'd you'd hang it on the beam on a wall. So you'd walk in there and there were all these beer mugs hanging mm-hmm. on the wall with people's uh, little Polaroid pictures of the person who <laughs> their beer mug belonged to. So, you know, it was a good place to, to go and have a beer and some fried French fries and a cheeseburger, but it wasn't, it wasn't a restaurant that was, should have been in a boutique hotel. So, um, we we bought geezers um, and moved Celadon to the Napa River Inn. That was a struggle um, at the time. It was funny, uh, Napa the way Napa's changed and evolved. But before the riverfront building was built across from the jail and the courthouse, that was an empty lot, and it had been an empty lot for, for as long, long as I time. long as I can remember. Um, I moved to Napa in '85. It was an empty lot then. Um, there was a little parking lot and a boat and a little boat dock there, and that was it. And so really, for someone living in Napa, being downtown, you didn't ever – I mean, I remember never going south on Main Street at 3rd. You always turn left or you turn right. You, there was no reason to go south on Main Street unless you're going to the library or you're going to jail. You know, that was the, the only reason you go to th- there would be good to go to jail. So um, – when I first started making the the drive down there to, to look at it and do some work, it was weird to, to go straight. And I think for people in Napa, it was the same thing. There was, you know, you just didn't go down there. I mean, there was this sort of this barrier. And when the riverfront, um, when that construction happened, of course, that wasn't, in the long run, it was good. But in the short term, it was, it was a disaster. We, um, after we moved down there, we had the Fifth Street parking garage being built. We had the riverfront being built and the flood control project around the Napa Mill all at the same time. So there was times where the noise from the pile driving on the river, the steel and the cement trucks coming. And people not wanting to go down there. No, it was thinking it was either closed. Well, it was a massive construction zone. I mean, you had three major projects happening at the same time. And here we are trying to operate a little restaurant down there and and the hotel trying to operate a little hotel um, made it through that two and a half year period probably it was um 
it was a long time. And I remember when finally, and I don't, I don't actually remember what piece was finished last, but when, when it was all done, it's like, wow, there's, there's no trucks, there's no cranes, there's no jackhammering, there's no pile driving. I mean, this is incredible. And, you know, the riverfront timing uh, was bad, for, just from an economy's point of view. I mean, uh, they opened about the same time of the recession, and, you know, the condos didn't sell, and the right. retail space on the ground floor didn't wasn't leased. But at least there was something attractive as people walked down Main Street or drove down Main Street. There was something there. There was, there was like, well, let's go, let's go look down here and see what's right. happening down here. <laughs> and so over time, you know, the riverfront's got its identity. The condos are now all sold. Most of the retail space is leased. Not all of it, but most of it is. And, and you know, there's Morimoto and people are now at the visitor, the conference and visitor center there, which is fantastic for us. Um, now driving down Main Street to 5th to the Napa River Inn is, is natural. But right. there was that period where it was weird. I remember it was a physically kind of strange thing to not turn right when I got there. I just, it was also not unlike the other Celadon space. It wasn't that easy to find. Right. It was One of behind the, the yeah, store right, again. Right. One of the charms, I mean, and I think people love love something that they could take friends to for the first time that is they, they don't they don't think their friends would find on their own. You know, a great example is in San Francisco, Bix Restaurant. It's on Gold Alley. It's in the shadow of the Trans-American Pyramid. I mean, it's right in the financial district. It's 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 in a pretty prime location, but it's on this weird little alley that that when you when you when you finally find it the first time, you're thinking, who would put a restaurant here? And then you walk in, and it's even cooler because it's a great restaurant, and it's in this really weird spot. And I think people like that. That's sort of that discovery. And so the original Celadon was definitely that way. And the new Celadon, um, to a point, is like that. I mean, it's it's in the Napa Mill, but it's not out front. You know, all the businesses in the Napa Mill have entrances on the the front side of the building. Right. You know, on Gel General Store. Vintage Sweet Shop, Sweetie Pies, and the hotel lobby are all facing west on that side of the building, where Celadon's tucked around the corner in the back. And but that's that's cool. I mean, I like that. I think that's really neat. So that's worked out well for us. And that whole complex down there has just gotten better and better over time. I mean, the the job that the hotel does and that the landscape crew does, and you know, there's always art on display. There's always stuff going on down there. You also made some changes in it after a while to really incorporate the garden so that right. it could be there 12 months a year. Yeah, the cor- the courtyard when we took over was was a nice area. It wasn't covered at all. And you know, it was it was charming with the brick and it did have an open beam ceiling, but you know, it's difficult. Um, we had a, we have a small dining room, and and we had this great big patio, and it's really hard to plan or to you know you can't book a party of twenty in November in Napa if you don't have an indoor space because it might be too cold, it might be raining, who knows? So um, after the first couple of years, we really sort of struggled with that patio, and I mean I remember every day I would set up umbrellas, the market umbrellas, people, you know, we're beautiful, it looks cute, the market umbrellas, move them around, try to provide shade to the people, which they don't always work. And then after lunch was over, we'd break the umbrellas down, we'd go store them in the corner, we'd bring out the heaters. And it was uh, every day, it was an hour and a half worth of work to do that. So we finally, um, 
we finally had some plans drawn up, um, met with Harry Price, the building owner, and he agreed to let us cover that patio. It had been covered at one point. It was originally covered when it was a warehouse, you know, years and years ago. But put in the put in the uh, the roof over that, and that was the first step. Then we put in, you know, hard plumbed heaters. Then we, I mean, it's sort of um, it's it became a big money pit that that patio. But uh, we. In the long run, it, it, it's been so nice. I mean, now that it was all finally done with plumbed gas heaters, because initially we had propane heaters, and every right. other day I'd go to the Chevron station and fill up oh. propane. So, you know, it, it, it's gotten better and better over time. And so we have this great Italian roll-down awning system that, you know, in the wintertime it's closed most – it's like almost like a closed room, um, but still with sort of a garden setting. And it, it really is. It's, it's a great space. 